0: This is Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Okay. This is going to be a heavy one. Mm -hmm. This is one that's been burning in my mind for a very long time. And I wrestled with whether or not it was something I'd bring to the podcast. Mm -hmm. But I'm bringing it to the podcast. She's bringing it. I'm bringing it. This is my plea White people, please stop calling the police on every little thing. <laughs> please. Yes. We are begging you. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a step back. Okay. Recently, there have been very high profile instances of white people, a lot of whom are white women, I have to calling the police on black and brown folks who have literally done nothing wrong. Quick recap this is very abbreviated. If we were gonna do all of them, even just in the last couple of weeks, we'd be here all day. Yeah. You probably heard the first one, Starbucks in Philadelphia. Two black men were arrested after a Starbucks store manager called the police because they were sitting in the store without placing an order. The two men said they were waiting for a friend who would literally just arrived as they were being taken away in handcuffs. Now, the two men, both black, didn't even know the manager had called the police. They said they had only been in the shop a few minutes before they were summoned by police officers. A bystander got video. The barista said, oh, they, you know, they they— had been sitting here and hadn't made a purchase, they were like, oh, one woman was like, oh, I've been sitting here for hours and haven't bought anything. <laughs> yeah. They apparently had asked for the bathroom code, and they said, oh, you haven't bought anything. But someone else had said, oh, I also got the code, and I'm white and didn't buy anything, and it wasn't a problem. So it seems pretty obvious what was going on. Um, yeah, I mean, they were in public, put in handcuffs, and taken away, which is mortifying and awful. Another ridiculous one, Yale University, a white female student called police on a black student for falling asleep in the common room while working on a paper. Now, the police showed up. They questioned the black student for 15 minutes. She showed the police the key to her room and her ID, and basically, it sounds like these cops were kind of harassing her. She says, I deserve to be here, she said in a video. I paid tuition like everybody else. I'm not going to justify my existence here. It's not even a conversation. So again, you know, this was someone who had every right to be in... A common space of her dorm being questioned by police in her own on her own campus, which is absurd.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, who among us has not fallen asleep in the common room if you've gone to college? Yeah. Like, that's just kind of
0: That's like the 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 lead, like of all the things that go down in the common room with the dorm, <laughs> yeah. sleeping is like the the one you was like, oh thank God she was sleeping. Yeah. All the things that could go down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Marley's granddaughter and her friends were taking luggage out of her Airbnb when they were met with a huge, oversized police presence, including being tracked by a helicopter. Attorneys for the group say that a neighbor called 911 because the group refused to smile or wave at her. Oh, wow. So basically, if you're black in America, you are obligated to smile and wave if someone looks at you. Mm -hmm. Otherwise... You got You got to They, they got to involve the police. They have no choice.
1: What kind of nightmare world where everyone's smiling, and waving
0: at everybody? I mean, you're not allowed to have a bad day, or like want sure. just want to, you know, not Acknow- acknowledge like not, yeah. a stranger. Right? Forbid. We do not get that option. Um, it gets worse. Police were called on a group of black women golfing at the Grand View Golf Course in York County, Pennsylvania. Now, this story is. Just really exhausting. When I read it, I was just like, our homie, homie, <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? <laughs> Steve Kronsteister, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Frankly, I hope I'm saying it wrong because you, Steve. He co-owns this golf course. Now, he called 911 because these women, can you guess what they were doing wrong? Golfing? They were golfing. Too slowly. Oh. They were a group of older women who uh-huh. were rusty. They said they were rusty at playing golf. They were golfing too slowly. He says that the women were not meeting the time guidelines and delaying tee times for other golfers. So he called 911 twice. First, he called 911, and he said, oh, these women are golfing too slowly. Then, I guess they would pick up the pace. Then they started going slowly again. He came outside to, to talk to them, and I guess the conversation didn't go well. He called 911. He wanted to have the women removed from the golf course. When the cops showed up, they pretty quickly realized, oh, wait, this is not a police matter, and they left. And the women kept golfing. I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, well, we're taking our time. (laughs) But they eventually just left on their own. Once, you know, the police came and they thought, this is not, we shouldn't, like, why are we called for this? This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it is ridiculous. Another, in my hometown of Washington, D.C., a white woman called Park Security when she saw a black father pushing his son in a park in a stroller. She called to report a, quote, suspicious man walking the bike path of the baby. Now, this is broad daylight. Yeah. Just a guy with a... I mean, I saw the picture. The the stroller is fancy as shit. Like, you would not see that and be like... Oh. I mean, maybe she thought the stroller was stolen. I don't know in what world this constitutes as suspicious behavior, someone walking a child in a park in a stroller in broad daylight, but... For whatever reasons woman felt threatened, felt it was suspicious, called 911. The police came, uh told the man what had happened. They said, "A woman called to report you. I think I'm obligated to come check it out. I just want to let you know what happened, you know, he wasn't arrested or anything." And he he describes the encounter as being very polite and and and, you know, by the book, but still that someone encountered him and needed to call authorities is wild. And my personal favorite, you probably heard about this because it sort of took over the internet the the last week or so, a white woman called 911 to report that a group of black friends and families were breaking the law by barbecuing with a charcoal grill in a public park. While she was on the phone with the police, she accused one of the men of trespassing in a public park. I love this story because, one, this woman became a really hilarious meme where pictures of her calling the police were photoshopped over... Pictures of Obama, pictures from Black Panther, pictures of, like, any black person doing anything. <laughs> yeah. She's in the background on the phone calling the police. Oh. <laughs> and another great thing about how this story went down is that a week later, the Oakland community kind of celebrated her mummification by throwing what looks like the biggest, blackest, mo- most lit barbecue in that same park the next week. They had... Swag surfing and the electric slide. I'm sure all kinds of charcoal grills. Yeah. Just to say, hey, we're allowed to grill in public. You can't call the police. We exist. We're allowed to take up space. So here's why these situations are so troubling to me. All of them are instances that just did not need to happen. One, the people who called 911 could have all just minded their business, to be frank with you. like they could have just not done that. They could have said, oh, there's someone using a barbecue and then just lived their lives and, (laughs) you know.
1: Yep. Just got perfectly happy. Gone home. And
0: and not become memes, right? And like not, not, not have spent a full 48 hours being made fun of by the entire internet. Mm -hmm. Like that's one way that could have gone down. Yeah. Or, it could have been solved by a simple conversation, right? The instance of the woman with Airbnb, she could have come out and said, you know, I think she probably should have just minded her business, but if she was really that pressed, she could have said, hey, you know, hello, I'm the neighbor just saying hi. You know, she could have used her words and solved it via this simple tool called communication. Oh, I've heard of that. Have you heard of it? It's a new thing. It can really solve problems. You don't actually need to involve the police. You can actually use this tool first in a lot of instances or just do nothing, right? like, (laughs) again, in any of these cases, at Yale, if she just let that girl sleep, you know, probably would have just kept sleeping. Like, it probably would have been fine Probably could have just mind their business and, like, gone back to her dorm and lived her life and forgot about it. And probably like, the worst thing that could happen is this person will be sleeping on a couch. Yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> you all, you, minding your business is, all, is always a choice. So let me be very clear. I am not saying never call the police. There are times the police are needed. If someone is hurt, there's an emergency, you know, there's an accident, definitely, definitely call the police. If you feel unsafe, Someone's being threatened. I'm not saying never call the police. What I am saying is not every interpersonal interaction requires a call to 911, people. Use use your heads. Yeah. Think about it. So this is my plea. Use discretion before calling 911. Like, think about it. Is there a better way to handle this situation? Do you need to summon armed guards of the state over a barbecue? You know? I would say no, but that's me.
1: I would say no, unless the barbecue is like, got fireworks and explosions (laughs) attached to it. Some kind of death machine. For
0: the most part, yeah, barbecues tend to be pretty, yeah. yeah, Unless it's some sort of evil barbecue.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If it's an evil, malicious barbecue, (laughs) then maybe. Maybe.
0: Maybe. Maybe.
1: You could just try throwing hot dogs or hamburgers at it. You could. There's other options.
0: You've got other options. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, this is something that has been weighing on me. And I think because it's in the news a lot, it's just something that is, I'm seeing it again and again and again. And I realized, I don't actually know if people know that you don't need to call the police for every interaction. You know, I don't know that that's a thing that people have internalized. At this point, I feel like we are so averse to just having a conversation with somebody. Yeah. That, you know, if you're thinking... My first line, like you're calling nine one one, should be your last line of defense. Even law enforcement officials say that calling nine one one for every little thing is actually making their job harder. And so, if you're someone who cares about public order and public safety, calling nine one one to report, like using it like it's task rabbit, is not actually making people safer; it's making people unsafer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I would just think about what other (laughs) actual emergencies they could be. Dealing with, especially, I mean, if even if you take away the the cop aspect of it, we're so um, understaffed when it comes to people who answer the calls. Even there's a lot of ripple effects that are happening. That's going to impact. It could really negatively impact someone else who needs actual help.
0: Well, according to Ty Wooten, educational director for the National Emergency Number Association, also known as the 911 Association. You should follow this general rule. Dial 911 anytime there's a threat to life or property, such as an accident, a crime, a fire, or a medical emergency. But, you know, none of these things fit into that category. And yeah, yeah while, while if you're in a small town, while the police force is out investigating somebody, you know, just like breathing on the street, yeah. there could be a real crime going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I just don't understand... For me personally, calling 911 is such a, that is a big step. That You are saying this is an emergency. I I can't imagine, personally. And that
0: actually goes along with the data that we have around people's feelings around calling 911. I think most marginalized folks have an understanding that calling the police into a situation won't, won't necessarily make it any safer, even for the person who called the police. According to The Atlantic, Black people are less likely than white people to call the police. The data actually hints at this idea that I think most marginalized folks kind of innately know. Whether involving police will help a situation or make it worse. Marginalized communities do not feel confident that reaching out to the authorities that are supposed to protect them will actually do so. And I think that's absolutely accurate. The last time that I called 911, this was a couple of years ago, I was going to work. I was walking to work, and I was walking very—I was, like, very late for work. And so I was leaving my apartment, and I saw, as I was walking toward it, what was—it looks like a domestic dispute of some kind. It was a man and a woman having a really loud public argument on the street. So I kind of thought, like, oh, I'm going to walk behind them for a little bit, see what happens. Then it got physical, and so it turned into the guy punching the girl. Um, it turned into— uh, uh, it turned into a, a physical situation. So I ran over. It was me and a couple. The couple was very old, so they really couldn't do a lot because they were mm-hmm. very, very old. And we sort of physically got in the middle of the of the couple. And so the older couple took the guy aside and they were talking to him and they were like, you know, don't do this. Just talk it out or just like take a, take a breath. Yeah. And while they were doing that, I was sort of with the, the girl who had been hit in the face. And... What's weird is that this was—I lived on a busy street, and so we were the only people who were physically getting involved. I'm sure people were watching or looking, but we were the only people who were like, we need to do something. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like this older couple was sort of taking care of him, and I was walking with the woman away. And I was, like, going to put her on the metro or get her a cab and, like, figure it out. Mm -hmm. So we were walking in different directions, the guy and the older couple and her. Then the guy— just starts running at us. And this couple who was with him, they are elderly, so it's not right. like they could have... Stopped him. Yeah, they, they really didn't have a lot of choices. And he stabbed her in the arm. Oh. And it was terrifying. And, of course, at this point, I was like, well, we need to call 911. So I pick up my phone, and she's like, are you calling the police? Please don't. And I was like, I'm sorry. I, I was I I took a breath, and I thought, this is the per the, the victim in this situation is asking me not to call 911. But... She needs immediate medical attention. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I just didn't feel right about not, not doing it. And so I called 911. We were just a few blocks from my apartment, so I brought her inside to my apartment. Uh, my landlord was inside. He came out of his unit and was like, there's a heavily bleeding person on the floor. And I was like, yeah, I know. Um, you know, I quickly saw why she asked me not to call 911. When the authorities arrived, they were frankly more concerned with the fact that this woman was drinking a beer on the street. Like she had she had an open beer, and so they oh. were like, Oh, is this your beer? And I was like, and I ended up saying, Oh, it's mine, because I didn't want them to you dismiss know, her. Right. Yeah. And like she had her bag with her that was open and they were I could tell they were kind of nosing through it. Mm-hmm. And bear in mind, she'd just been stabbed yeah. multiple times. Um they were, you know, they weren't life threatening stabs, but she was profusely bleeding. Mm-hmm. And they just seemed more interested in being like, are do you have drugs in your bag? You know, yeah. what what are you doing? And I quickly saw why she did not want me to call 911 because mm-hmm. they did not treat her with respect. And I think had I have had I had I not been there and made it clear that, I mean I hate to say it, I think that they pegged her as, you know, a low income person, and they pegged me as someone who was not low income. And I think had I not been there to be like, no, that's my beer and I live here and I'm 21, or I'm older than 21, so move yeah. on. Um, or no, that's my bag. so And no, you can't go through it. Move on. If I had not been there and I had had I not known what to say to signal to them that one, I know my rights, two, I will make trouble for you, and three, this is my house and i you know, yeah. you know, you can't do anything to me. I've done nothing wrong and I'm not afraid of you. And, you know, if I had not known the things to say to signal that, and if yeah. I had been in any way like vulnerable, right? If I was not a legal resident of the United States, right? Yeah. Or if I was a sex worker, right? If they if they had something on me or they sensed they did, yeah. that would have been a very different experience. And I could tell that I could tell by the way they were treating her that they felt that about her. Mm-hmm. And they didn't feel it about me. And I was very, I wanted to be very clear with them. Like, you can't play either of us. Like, I get what's going on here. She's bleeding into my conscience. So, so she's, you know, she's down for the count. But I understand what's happening. And you're not going to play either of us. And I remember when I was like, when they were putting her in the ambulance, I was like, oh, let me, give you, let me give you my number so you can give to her in case she needs a witness or a ride home or whatever. And he said to me, ma'am, she's from Anacostia. And if you know D.C., Anacostia is sort of considered, quote, unquote, the hood. It's across the river. And basically what he was saying was, I mean, it just was very clear to me. The situation was perceived race and class lines in a way that was immediately very tense. And I completely understood why she didn't want me to call 911 immediately. I was like, oh, this is how you experience a call to 911. When you are the victim, you've done nothing wrong. You are bleeding. Like, you're semi-conscious on a floor, a stranger's floor right now. And this is how they treat you and so i immediately was like oh right this is how it is and so yeah that that experience did not fill me with you know warm fuzzies no. about <laughs> <at> the police <laughs> and it made it makes me when i see people calling 911 for anything less than an emergency and i, I don't regret calling 911 because i couldn't give her the medical attention that she needed she was she needed yeah. she needed help um but when i see people who call them for any old thing i think about that and i think about what that experience is like, and I'm someone who's very privileged, right? Like, I have a good job. I have a college degree. I live in a gentrified part of D.C. All of those things, right? I know how to code switch, all of that. Mm -hmm. And that experience was still very negative for me. And I can't imagine people who are more marginalized, what, what that experience is like for them. But I saw a little bit of it. And I only saw a tiny bit. And I saw the version they give when there's a, a property owner in the mix right? because my landlord was there and he's right. older and he's a man, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I saw the version they were giving when there was the certain class markers were met. And so right. I can't imagine what it's like when those those people are not around, right? Right, yeah. And, That's- yeah, it just, it makes me, I think if people understood what those experiences are like, they would not call 911 over a barbecue, right? You know, and look at experiences like John Crawford who was shot at, uh, after someone saw him in a Walmart picking up a gun, an air, an air pellet gun that he was intending to buy, you know, mm-hmm. picking it up that was being sold at Walmart, walking around casually holding it under his arm while talking on the phone, someone called 911 and the police just shot him and killed him. And it's, I think that if people understood what the experience is like when police are involved in a marginalized person's life, they wouldn't just be so quick to call them. And they, and they shouldn't be. That situation could have been solved any number of ways. And yeah. the last resort way should be 911 because now he's dead and he de- did nothing wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't have to say it, but I will say it. It's very upsetting. It's upsetting that these people that that we want to protect us and they don't and we can't trust them too. And if you don't have an advocate for you, if you hadn't been there
0: for that woman, I don't know. It's Yeah. I think about her a lot. Yeah. I think about her a lot. And again, I'm a black woman, but I'm also, like I said, I'm very privileged. And mm-hmm. so, I don't like f***ing with the police either. Like, if, like it, it has to be life or death for me to call the police. But if me, as a educated, decently, but like moderately well-off, you know, person who sort of knows how to talk to the police or whatever, knows how to code switch. Yeah. If the experience is bad for me, imagine what it's like for people who are not like me. And I think people are not thinking that through. They're not understanding that you could be you could be signing someone's death warrant, right? Like the person who called 911 on John Crawford, he probably didn't understand that calling 911 was going to lead to his death. But that's reality. I mean, look at the data here. According to the police violence report, 1,147 people were killed by police in 2017. Now, black folks were more likely to be killed by police and more likely to be unarmed and less likely to be threatening someone when they were killed. And on top of that, Police recruits spend seven times as many hours training to shoot than they do training to de-escalate situations. So that just tells you right there, you know, when you call these people in, you need to be damn sure you understand what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I don't want to come down hard on police here, although I think my feelings about police are probably obvious. and <laughs> probably don't need to say them. But a lot of time, police officers are dealing with situations that they really have no business dealing with. Somebody who's having a mental health crisis, the police, I mean, they should be trained in how to deal with someone who's having a mental health crisis. But calling 911 on somebody who is having a mental health crisis, it it should not be the first sign of defense. And so I I feel for the police in a kind of way, which will probably shock people to hear, because they are being tasked to deal with situations that, frankly, we should have better services and people who are trained better to deal with these things. And they're being called in to deal with them. Mm -hmm. But people should understand what you are doing when you are involving, when you are summoning armed agents of the state to deal with someone because they're having a loud party. You should understand what that means.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) It should be the last line for many reasons, but just, I know we're on the same page on this, but like introducing a a gun or a weapon into any situation automatically like raises the stakes of it. So, I mean, I don't know. Someone's barbecuing outside of my house. Let's add a gun to the mix. It just doesn't makes sense And having that me. be the
0: first line of yeah, defense. Yeah,
1: exactly. I can
0: see if you went over there and they they physically threatened you yeah. or they accosted you. That's, you know. Yeah. Even I might be like, well, oh, I, I get it. I would get that. But just seeing someone barbecuing in and a then public being space. like, in a public <laughs> space and then going straight to 911. That's, yeah. No, do not do that. No. Do not do that. There are times to call the police and there are times to just really honestly just mind your business. That's like the, the yeah. first rule of living in a city, I feel like is know when to mind your business. And yes. a lot of these people could have just minded their business. Gene Demby wrote at Slate, I thought this was perfectly put to, to your point, Annie. The police were called into this situation, as a colleague said, to mediate a misunderstanding like they were RAs in a dorm room, not armed agents of the state with a broad discretion to use violence and detain people. The police are not your personal grievance task force. No. They're not there to sort out any interpersonal misunderstanding that you have. We are adults. We can do that, right? Like you can use your mouth and say, "Hey, do you, you know, I'm so and so. Everything okay here? You can, if, if you really feel the need to get involved, you can do that. <laughs> I might say, just go, go, just, just go, go about, about your day, and, yeah, yeah. And buy your business. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Maybe we need like a <laughs> a mediating task force. Just goes around. No need to call the yeah, police. It's like,
0: have you tried just minding your business and just like living your life? Is that a, a option <laughs> is that for Netflix
1: you? I see? <laughs> yeah, like I
0: think it's like, I know we should take a break. And I'm I'm getting on my high horse. I know, I'm sorry. People are gonna be like, this is one of Bridget's ranty episodes, and it is, but it's upsetting me. I think it's related to gentrification in public space. And, and yeah. being a black person who has lived in a lot of gentrifying cities, I think it's about who is and who is not allowed to feel okay in public. And who kind of always has to have their guard up when they're in public? A perfect example is myself. I was once locked out of my locked out of my own apartment, and I was in my apartment at the time. Had a way of getting in through a window that was kind of like uh-huh. you could. You, we had a way of getting in, and I remember being afraid. I remember thinking like, someone if it's someone calls, if yeah. someone sees me going into my own apartment, they could call nine one one, and I was just like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. And so rather than going into my own Building, I just waited and waited and waited and waited and waited for hours until someone came and let me in because I was too afraid. And again, I'm someone who is who is privileged. I have situations where I'm sitting on my own stoop, and someone who does not even live there will walk by and be like, "Can you not sit on this stoop?" And I'll say, "Oh, I live in the building, do you?" And they're like, "No, I live in the neighborhood." And I say, "Well, I'm I live here, so (laughs) again, minor business now." Yeah, I think that it's about. Who is allowed to exist in public spaces? And I just feel that so acutely living in gentrified neighborhoods especially. And it's like no surprise to me that this charcoal grill business happened in Oakland because Oakland is is a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood. And I think that, you know, people, if they see black folks having a good time, turning up, being loud, all of that, can often signal something that's not supposed to happen is happening. And what's also very ironic is that a lot of these neighborhoods are places where Black folks have historically lived. Like in Brooklyn, I lived on the Avenue of the Puerto Ricos, and like, uh, like when they had the Puerto Rican Day Parade, it was very, very loud and festive. And people would move in and call the police. And it's like you moved onto the like Avenue of the Puerto Ricos on days that are important to Puerto Rican heritage. Of course, they're going to be loud. It's like moving to the beach if you don't want to see sand. I do not get it. Like, why yeah. are you calling the, Like, why did you move here? I, don't, I will never understand it, but I think it's about policing public space. Yeah. So That's let's take a quick break and talk more about why this upsets me so much. <laughs> and we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, Annie. yeah, I feel like I've been ranting this whole time. I think that what we need in this situation is just a rethinking of how we deal with interpersonal problems in public. I think we have to train people to not call 911 for every little thing. I think we have to train people that people of color, marginalized people are allowed to exist in public. I think that we need to have a real conversation about what it means and the consequences for calling 911 to report something that's not a violent or an emergency. And I think that this is the time, I think, that we are at a critical moment where we've had all of these instances of, you know, they called the police for this, called the police for that. I think we have to have a national dialogue about what this means because something's up, you know? This is this is not okay.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that that is a really great idea, Bridget. I think that um, there is a lot of, um, I don't know if it's confusion. I, I think people don't understand uh, what, what constitutes when they should call. We don't really get properly trained on it. You just know in an emergency. So maybe having a, a dialogue of when you do it, here's the consequences of what happens when you do it. Here's all of these other issues that surround it. And I think it could be even expounded upon beyond that because, I mean, I'm a very privileged person, but I honestly don't know how to handle the police a lot of times. I've been in i have been in situations where I've just had no idea what my rights were. I don't know. So starting with this, yes, I think we should have a conversation. When do you call 911 and what does it mean?
0: I think that's so, so important. There's actually an activist named Aaron Roves who was sort of doing just that. Aaron actually created a public resource called What to Do Instead of Calling the Police. So in that resource, he writes, so what do you do? When you see harm being done, when you worry for your safety, when you feel your rights are being violated, what do you do instead of calling the police? How do you keep yourself safe without seeking protection from a system whose default is still surveillance and erasure of others? He says, We start by shifting our perspective. We start by learning about the racist history of the police. We start by saying that an alternative to the system should exist. We start by pausing before we dial 911. We start by making a different choice where we can. We start by getting to know our neighbors and asking them to be part of this process. I think it's a great place to start. I mean, I'm not saying never call 911, but I am saying it's okay to rethink how 911 is, is, how we're using it. And clearly a lot of people out there are using it incorrectly. For a lot of people, it could be life and death, right? In the instance that I talked about earlier with the father who was walking his son in a stroller, he writes that if it was a different kind of police officer that showed up, that situation could have gone terribly bad for him. We got to be mindful of that. And that's like, it sucks that that is on us to have to figure out, but it is. You know, I wish it wasn't the case, but it is. And I think not acknowledging that reality is not doing anybody any favors.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's really easy to just ask yourself before you dial 911. Uh, 911, especially like if you have enough time, if it's not that urgent, it's easy to ask yourself, why am I doing this? What else could I do?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, that's such a simple step. Yeah. What else could I do? I think for so many issues, just taking a beat, yeah. taking a breath is important. I, I feel this in myself because I have a lot of I'm an impulsive person, and I'm I'm trying to teach myself that in situations where I want to act impulsively, what if I just took a minute and yeah. thought it through? And I think we I think we could all use a, a dose of that, you know. And I and you don't want it to be a split second choice that you made to call nine one one ends with someone dead. And that shouldn't be on you to, to grapple with, but that's the reality. I mean, look at those stats that we started the show with. That's the reality.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, this to me is so, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I I'm personally a person that's terrified of phones. One, I will do anything to avoid talking on the phone. So
0: things like seamless... And Postmates oh are probably a gun send for you. Oh, my gosh. I had to call
1: the dentist today, and it was, like, such a stressful thing. And, like, calling 911, the times I've done it, has been, like, I'm shaking having to, like, answer these questions. And for me, it's mostly been reporting car accidents that I saw, um, especially in the South when snow hits. We have very bad—we um, have a lot of car accidents. I just can't imagine— why you would go to that right away, (laughs) that we need to move away from that and, yeah, have a national conversation.
0: Even if you're someone who is saying, listen, the reason why I call the police for these situations is because I care about law and order and I want to have a community that is free of crime, free of even low-level crime. I can understand that. But even police officers are complaining. Even police officers are saying, You are making our job more difficult.
1: Yeah, a police officer started a thread that went viral on Reddit complaining that someone called 911 to report, quote, it was two black males who were jumpstarting a car at 9.30 in the morning. That was it. Nothing else. Someone called it in. People, people, people. If you're going to be a racist, stereotypical jerk, keep it to yourself. Another said someone called 911 to report someone fishing at a community pond. He continued, once I arrive, I see a middle-aged black man fishing in the pond. He looks over when I pull up and immediately approaches me. He said, let me guess, my racist neighbors called again saying that I didn't live here. A former 911 dispatcher said that lots of people rang in to report a suspicious person and when asked for clarification as to what was suspicious about the individual, most would mumble, stumble, or even whisper, um, he or she's black or Muslim-looking. This person added, ma'am, it's not illegal to be black or Muslim or Mexican, etc., usually worked.
0: I mean, when you have law enforcement officials coming up with little ways of telling people, hey, you're being racist by calling 911 right now, that should tell you all you need to know. It should. And yeah, if if you are interested in making your community safer, wasting the time of law enforcement officials, it does not sound like it's the way to do that.
1: No, I would say that is the opposite of what you should be doing.
0: I agree. And I want to talk more about some different solutions to how we can sort of tackle this problem together after this quick break. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So some of y'all might be thinking, if we're trying to call the police only when in times of actual emergencies, what does that look like? Well, according to Aaron Rose, that activist we talked about earlier, he says that first of all, you should be getting to know your neighbors. He writes, many situations that you might feel compelled to call the police can be resolved by knowing your neighbors. Knock on people's door, leave a note with your number, have a conversation, agree to talk to each other before calling nine one one. This is particularly helpful for things like loud music, smoke, or mental health issues. I think that's really important, particularly as you know our space has become more gentrified. When you move into a place, I think it's important to make a good faith effort to get to know folks, and you know if you don't get to know your neighbors, like how do you know what's going on in your community? And so I think just starting there, starting with having a conversation with the people who you live around so you know like so-and-so lives here, so-and-so lives here, so-and-so lives here. Like if, if so-and-so is playing loud music, I won't just call 911. I'll go over and tell them to ask them to stop. If so-and-so is blowing smoke in my, and it's, you know, sm- smelling at my apartment, I'll come down and have a conversation with them. I won't just summon 911 to do this for me. I can handle this as an adult.
1: Yeah. And also, I would add, have that conversation as an adult. Do not go yelling in someone's face. It always bothers me when people wait. And I understand that impulse. Absolutely. Like, you're angry. You want to act on it now. But it's better for everyone. (laughs) If you can take that breath, take that beat. And just... Be an adult about it. Have a conversation. Don't go yelling in someone's face, if at all, if you can help it at all. Some situations warrant it. But generally for things, smaller things, I would say try try to keep your cool. And also if you're someone like me that's very, I'm one of those weird people that's both very outgoing and very shy. So when I moved into my new neighborhood, I got to know everyone in my building by name, but that was it. And But I'm not going to call anybody. I'm not going to call the police on anybody. I didn't make the effort. And if there's ever an issue, I'll go make the effort. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you are a person who perhaps is a little worrier, or you're more prone to calling the police or, like, just— I don't want to say nosy, but almost nosy. J- just if you're on a the busy other— A body. A busy body. Yeah. If you're on the other side of the spectrum than me, then, yes, take that effort and get to know people— and hopefully it'll be an enjoyable experience. I, I mean, hopefully you'll make friends and get to know folks.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm such an advocate of that. You know, I'm I am not a busy, but I'm I'm a busybody in some ways, right? I love I love my community. If you spend any time talking to me, you will know that nothing. There's nothing I love more than where I live in DC, and I love the youth of my community. I love the elderly folks. I love living in a diverse, exciting multi-faceted place. It's, it's, it, I love it. I go to all the community events. It's my, It's. my. I really rep hard for where I live. And I want my community to be safe and healthy just like anybody else. But that does not mean calling the police all the time. What that means is getting to know my neighbors, talking to people, you know, saying hello to people when I see them in the street. I've often thought that when people move into communities like the one that I live in, the, the inclination can be to not meet anybody because you don't know them and They've lived here forever, and they're that weird old black woman upstairs or whatever. <laughs> and that, in, that I get that inclination, but it is absolutely incorrect. I remember once living someplace where we had a package thief who would steal packages, and there was a very, very old woman who was a shut-in who you could— she would, she would collect your packages if you were basically nice to her. Uh. And somebody who lived in my building, they were like, well, you know, this neighborhood, we can't even get our packages delivered. She should get all the packages for the whole building. And I was like, oh, well, I shovel her walk when it snows because she can't do it. And I bring her, you know, her groceries sometimes if she needs to. Do you, and, I, and, like, I smile at her and say, hello, do you do those things? And he was like, no. And I thought, oh, so you want to be able to have the perks of living <laughs> right. in a community where everyone knows each other. You don't want to do any of the work of saying hello to her, mm-hmm. you know, shoveling her walk, checking in on her, getting the occasional quart of milk if she needs it. You want her— it's it's her responsibility to make your stay in this neighborhood nicer. Yeah. You you need to do nothing in return for her. And he was like, "Well, when you put it that way, <laughs> I like to think that he's like shovels her walk every winter since then." I hope so too, Bridget. But yeah, I mean, this is this is just my thing. It's like the reason why I love where I live is because of the people that live there, and my neighbor my neighborhood is full of a colorful cast of characters, and I love every one of them. And I think that we need to remember what it means to be a community and remember what it means to be a good neighbor and remember that it's okay to have interpersonal conflict and it's okay to use our words to solve that conflict. Nobody else needs it. if it's If it's not a violent or emergency situation, you don't need to have somebody else do it for you. You can do it yourself. And I think that really it starts there. You know, give it a try. Give it a try. Give it a try. That's all I'm saying. So I'm saying, I'm not saying... Never call the police. I'm not saying if you feel threatened by someone, it is your duty to go up to them and put your, you know, if you feel like you're putting your life on the line to do that. I am not saying that. That's not the takeaway. Yeah. All I am saying is that a safer future is possible for everybody. And I truly, truly believe that we could have a future where we are so much less dependent on armed police. and that is a little bit of a radical notion but i think that we could get there and other communities are already exploring different ways of you know restorative justice and keeping communities safer through community based programming you know we're like if something happens there is someone else to call that is mm-hmm. not the police there is a community based solution that can tackle it and i think we should be figuring out how we scale back from involving frankly people with guns who seem to use them with impunity. I think we should be figuring out ways of depending less on them to sort out situations that really we have the skills. I believe in us. We have the skills to, to tackle ourselves. And that's my, that's my plea. It sounds like a
1: beautiful world and I believe we can do it too. Um, we can build this
0: better, healthier community together. Let's do it. Let's do it. Sminty listeners, sorry this episode was just me on my my high horse. Really, I'm interested in knowing your solutions. Do you have an idea of what we can do to rely less on police? What do you think? What do you think about this idea of not calling 911? Do you think these people who are calling 911 for every little thing are as absurd as I do? Please let us know. I really want to know. Yes.
1: You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou or you can always email us at momstuff at how <laughs>